Hey everybody, that was Bandmade with a song called Dice. They hey, Bandmade puts out two songs in the same month. You get uh, two songs from Bandmade on the show. That's just how it goes. Uh, I am Bo Ransdell. This is Hero Hero Go Show, a bonus episode featuring a uh, fan favorite returning champion, Richard Glenn Schmidt, right here, ladies and gentlemen, ready to talk about Whispery Corridors. Music carrots, music carrots. Uh, uh, Do we, are we going to whisper the whole the whole episode? No, I think that oh. would be foolish. Um, right. And I couldn't keep it up, quite frankly. It'd be churlish. Uh, churlish. It would be churlishly childish. Uh, and and that's, folks, why you came. It's that level of wordplay you've come to expect from these bonus episodes with RGS himself. Um, so you were the one who said, after we did Tomie, like, we, we ought to do something else. And you were the one who pitched Whispering Corridors. And I immediately said, yes, please. Oh, but, yeah. but So why did you recommend this to me? I didn't even ask you that at the time. I just said yes. But now I'm curious. Well, this is a series of films I thought I was more well-versed in until I started watching the second one and went, huh, I've never fucking seen this. So uh, I just love the first one. And I love whatever the other one I watched is, which is, I think, the third one now, which is Wishing Stairs. Uh, but this is all my fiendish plot just to do another series with you. But the first film is just so damn good that, man, I'm living la vida duder. Yeah, uh, Whispering Corridors is great. I will get into it, but I think Memento Mori is one of not just like the best film in this series is just one of the best horror films in this kind of genre. Nice. Uh, I love Memento Mori. Holy shit. I think that movie is, oh. uh, he says about young <laughs> South Korean school girls, not creepily. Mm-mm, no, no. Um, Hey, let's do a little, uh, normally when we do, do the Tomie stuff, we don't care if anybody learns anything. Uh, I don't care. You don't care. We've talked about it all <laughs> off the air and laughed about it. <laughs> but this time is a little bit different because it's important to point out a little bit of context for these films. If uh, if you know your South Korean history, ladies and gentlemen, and I know you do, you will recall that uh, there were years there where South Korea was ruled by uh, a military uh, sort of regime. And so from the period of about, say, like 1970 to 1990, uh, all of the films were screened and approved by a military council. Which means nothing good ever happened in South Korean movies during that time. I'm sure there's something good somewhere in there, but largely it was like the pre-military regime era, which has a lot of interesting stuff, a a wasteland of creativity for about 20 years. And then the South Korean, like the, it, it becomes more democratic and it moves into uh, what it was it called the sixth Republic, I believe. And now they can, 
kind of make whatever they want without being under the thumb of a, a military committee. But there are still a lot of restrictions in place. And Whispering Corridors and Memento Mori especially were groundbreaking uh, for modern South Korean cinema. Whispering Corridors, in fact, was almost banned in its home country of South mm-hmm. Korea uh, because of the, the portrayal of the teachers, which <laughs> we'll talk about. And uh, it went on, though, to become, I think it was the third highest grossing film that year it was released. So it was, it was a huge success, and Memento yeah. Mori was a year later, uh, you know, hot on the heels. They were like, fuck, that made money. Let's do another one of them. And uh, it, it, it's kind of fascinating to me because, you know, we talk on this show a lot about uh, Japanese horror because it was kind of always being made. And South Korea didn't have that chance. I mean, a lot of there, there's a a bit of a, a tension with a lot of South Korean horror in that most of the ghosts may look kind of traditional, but don't behave very traditionally. And that's because there's not a consistent mythology through the years of cinema like Japan has. And it's it, you can either say it's one of the refreshing things about South Korean cinema is that they they play a little fast and loose, a little loosey goosey with some of the ghost shit, um, and versus Japan where it's you know hey a yurei is a yurei you get cursed you're fucking cursed no getting around it and the <laughs> trappings may be different but you know you're fucked regardless <laughs> and uh, so it's interesting it, it's kind of interesting to see. You know, films that are so often lumped together, uh, like, you know, South Korean horror and Japanese horror, but they actually come from very different places, even though South Korea stole a bunch of shit because they were way behind, but they they do something fun and different with it. And uh, uh, so there's your your educational component of this show. Richard, would you like to add anything to uh, our info dump prior to getting stupid? Well... I could start off stupid and get stupider, but uh, I really see what you're saying about the the like the former military regime kind of bleeding into these stories really easily, uh, especially with what almost got this film banned. The first film, well, both of them really, was this uh, just corporal punishment teacher thing where people are getting punched in the face by their professors kicked. It's crazy how much uh, teacher on student violence here, which, which is what you do. You arm the teachers problem solved. Right. It, it's like if Sam Peckinpah <laughs> taught every class. Oh, doctor. And that's, um, that's terrifying. Uh, he was not allowed around children. No, nor should he have been. But uh, what I, what I really find interesting is like the, explosion of the Korean film industry with films like this. I'm sure there was a lot of uh, dramas and romances that broke out that same year. Probably every genre like exploded when they started to have those restrictions lifted. Uh, but I couldn't, it couldn't have happened at a better time for Asian horror. Um, if I think 
I know the difference between like a Korean film and a Japanese film and a Hong Kong film. I think my brain can process such things, uh, but my subconscious kind of like mixes it all together. You know, like I was so, I was so shocked when I thought of Bunshin Saba, and I was like, yeah, that's a Japanese one. And you're like, hmm, is it though? And I looked, I was like, oh my god, it's Korean. But I also <laughs> haven't seen that in like ten years or however many years ago. But it, all this stuff is this is like. Just like where we were talking about those early Tomie films, you, you could go on forever, which is what Hero Hero Ghost Show will do, about just this like five, ten year period. I mean, it's not even ten years. It's like like 96, 97 through like 2004. It's just yeah. explosive, explosive and, and amount of cinema. And- and incredible stuff like the stuff that was coming out it wasn't just a lot it was that a lot of it was like are you fucking kidding me juan <laughs> right and, right and yeah and but you know south korea was like fuck that we're no slouch have you seen phone motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> they say yeah one missed call we don't even right? get call we're dealing with the phone Fuck your uh, ringtone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. The girl in that movie is creepy as shit. A little detail about my wife. Her cell phone ring has not changed in years. Years. Okay? Like, she's had from phone to phone to phone, same ringtone. It's the ringtone from One Missed Call. Nice. Yep. She just says, I want that. Put it on there. And that's never changed. That's fantastic i need to do that i yep. i feel like i'm falling down on the job <laughs> tell, tell your wife i'm sorry i will i will and she will forgive you that's, that's how she is she, she's married to me she has to be very forgiving she's a saint mm-hmm. um enough about your wife richard i'm sorry she's great <laughs> you know what you're just doing that for the ladies now <laughs> there is nothing a lady likes more than hearing a, a man talk lovingly of his wife I agree. Chicks, right? So, Whispering Corridors <laughs> is uh, 90, uh Yeah, 1998 is when we got our first look at Whispering Corridors. Um, it is a horror film mostly, but serves almost as well as a drama, I would argue. Uh, this is directed by Ki Hyung Park. Uh, written by Jung Ok In and Ki Hyong Park. Uh, we are taking this slow, so I don't say anything offensive. Uh, the the big cast you need to know: there's Ja Yi, uh, who is played by Kang Hee Choi, uh, who is a delight. Uh, you have Gio, who is played by Gyu Ri Kim. Uh, you have Mrs. Park, who's played by Min Jung Kim, and you may say. Bo, why should I care about uh, Min Jung Kim? And I'm going to say because uh, she has been working steadily since this movie came out. uh, And as have every, just about every actress that we're going to talk about tonight. Like started with these movies and then went on to do 20 years of films. It's, It's unbelievable to me. That unlike, you know, a horror film you see here in the good old U.S. of A, 
<laughs> there is a real good chance that uh, that's the last time you're ever going to see him in a real movie. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> it's uh, it's it, it's pretty astounding. Um, so yeah, where was I? There's Jane. There was. Geo, there's Miss Park. Oh, Un Young is really our other uh, big character, as played by Mi Hyun Lee. Um, so yeah, uh, that's our cast O characters. Remember them. There will be a quiz later. Oh no. Yeah, that's right. Um, and this movie opens with uh, a good old fashioned creepy school at night scene. Man. Uh. We get some uh, like there's a metal gate before this school, and and actually there's a pair of shots that open the film that I really like, where you see the gate rolling back, and then uh, you know opening up on its uh, runners and then closing again. But it's only until you get the wide shot that you're like, oh, that was a gate. Uh, it's very clever this movie, and and it also kind of has drippy blood titles, not excessively but there's a little drippy blood to it <laughs> subtle yeah yeah but i i dig it i'm i'm i am picking up what you're laying down whispering corridors and uh and of course we get our first shot of uh a schoolgirl in bare feet standing outside this school it's i love both of these films are gonna have this like mysterious beginning to them uh the second one is just totally bonkers but this is like if you're not immediately intrigued by what's going on you're not watching it right hey what what take your pulse man <laughs> are you alive <laughs> so all right so we cut inside the school uh leaving our creepy girl outside and uh we're we're looking at miss park who is an older teacher at the school and she is on the phone. And she is uh, telling someone, um, look, she's Jinju is here. And she's definitely dead, but she's there. And she has been all along. And then the phone goes dead. All horror movie-like. And uh, so we get a glimpse of a girl... And then immediately she is hung. Like, you know, supernatural drape shit happens. And bada bing, bada boom, Miss Park is all hung as, as hell. Ah, oh, so good. Yeah, it's, it's really creepy. And I would say uh, until you get to the end of the film, this is really the most horror movie it is for a while. Um, but... It's uh, so there's also a security guard or not a security guard because everybody in the South Korean school has a second job, including the students. Uh, so it's what the PE teacher who's also doubling as the security guard at night. And uh, so he's wandering around and we get some glimpses of uh, the girl that presumably murdered Miss Park dragging the body through the halls as the guard is kind of derping around. <laughs> derp, derp. Who, by the way, this guard, or not guard, he's the PE teacher, but the turtleneck on this guy. Holy shit. <laughs> Just pull it up over his face. It's beautiful. I mean, 
And and this is a movie sick with turtlenecks. <laughs> but this one is particularly good. It's going to protect him from getting strangled. Like, he won't get hung up. That's the, maybe that that's the true nature of the turtleneck, is its ghost hanging defense. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Shit's full of good ideas. I love um, it. So... He, uh, we also get some kind of creepy stuff where he, uh, the, the PE teacher is like closing a window that was open and pushing a chair up to a desk that, uh, uh, had been pushed back. And as soon as he leaves the room, like the window opens and the chair scoots back all ghostly. And when the chair scoots back from the desk, we see a drop of blood fall on this desk and then we see the uh, initials JJ carved into said desk. Uh, which, if you recall earlier, Miss Park used the name Jinju before she was ghostly hung. And the one conclusion I think we can both reach at this point, Richard, is that this school is haunted as fuck. Yep. Um, probably by someone going by the name of Juggalo Juggalo. Yeah, that was my first instinct, too. Yep. Case closed. <laughs> what did you say? Jinju? No, no. Juggalo. 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 Have you seen those people with their fagos? It's crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. So, all right, back to the school in the daylight. And we see uh, this memorial shrine to, like, an old teacher and... No one's around. It's all all emptied out. And then we are introduced to uh, Geo, who is walking uh, towards the, the school. And she sees her friend, Jai, uh, looking all sad and morose, waiting for her to show up. And Jai says she didn't go in because empty classrooms freak her out. And, you know... She's being, and I think uh, Geo actually says, you know, you're being girlish. Um, which this movie, I mean, much more so in the second film, but there is a little bit of the old lesbian vibe uh, to this film between these characters. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if I'm reading too much into that or if I'm just like a filthy old man and they're just close friends. But it just it, it it feels like something more than friendship. I got a little vibe of that from the second one too, man. There's a touch of it in the second one. <laughs> no, there, there's definitely that underlying thing here. I think the directors are directors playing with things, playing with things more here, and then the next set of crew is just going for it. Right. They're I mean they're they're here. They're queer. Get used to it in Memento Mori. <laughs> Um, <laughs> oh boy it's political in that way i feel like i feel like um the dude from tenebre sick transit lesby hmm. so goes the lesbians hmm. interesting hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's i mean th this movie has the those undertones and and you know when we get into memento mori it's it's not just overt, it's what the movie's about. But but yeah, there there's this kind of playful friendship 
between Jai and, and, and Gio in this film. Um, so they, they see this, uh, creepy girl, uh, sitting all, all alone by her, herself studying. Um, and this is, let me grab her name again. Jung Sook, uh, who is our, our studious girl of the film. And, uh, so they see her and they're about to kind of fuck off out of the room. And then, um, there's a scream uh, oh no no no! They're going outside to uh, to do some work, right? Like they got to clean some shit because again, everyone's got a second job at this school. <laughs> yep, this is this is what the school board was upset about. This is why the film was banned. It wasn't the the treatment by the teachers; it was the manual labor of all of the students. Yeah, right. And, and so yeah, so they're going to clean some stuff outside, and. Uh, Jai says, like, oh, I forgot uh, a rag and has to go back to the classroom. And immediately Gio is like, uh, hey, dummy, why are you carrying the the water spout back upstairs with you? And uh, so, like, Gio is constantly giving Jai a little more shit than she deserves, I feel. <laughs> you know, and I mean, Jai, in fairness, is a bit of the mopey kind of goth girl yeah like i mean they're all in the same uniform she doesn't look like a goth girl but if they could be yeah she's uh as soon as she hears the punk rock that uh, geo listens to it's it's you're gonna create a monster yeah she'll be like wait what is Susie and the banshees <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> oh man uh, what, what, uh, what, I, I keep wanting to say played Misty for me. What was the big Susie and the Banshee song? Uh, kiss them for me. Kiss them for me. Mm-hmm. Not, not what I said at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. And there's also kind of a creepy shot of Jung Sook, um, when, when the girls leave the classroom, throwing back her head all crazy like. Oh man. And there, and that's, we should probably state this right now. There's a lot of like, red herrings in this film because there's a mystery underneath everything in this movie. Yeah. And, and this is one of our first clues is that, Hey, uh, this studious junk soup chick also acts kind of weird. Yeah. And, uh, and they even mentioned possession on the stairwell when they're going down to water the flowers or, scrub the horses or whatever they got to do just to get an education in that country for God's sakes. Um, where they, they mentioned possession and, uh, I, I think it's geo. Who's, who's like possessed. What do you mean? And she's like, no, she's possessed by the study bug or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, whispering corridor. You guys got me. Let's go dust the toilets. <laughs> yeah. Uh so yeah, and then they find uh Miss Park uh hanging. Um <laughs> you know. Hanging. What's that girl? What are you doing? Just, yeah, not chilling. I suppose I should make it clear. She is uh dangling from a bridge. Just a swing out. <laughs> Well, Mrs. Park, she's as pretty. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I love the reveal of that. 
it's just it's uh, a nice turn of the of the camera yeah and as soon as geo sees it she freaks out and then grabs jayi and covers her eyes which is another one of those like oh that's a more than friendly kind of i don't know like if you if you saw something scary and immediately covered my eyes i would be like that's a little too much i wouldn't use my hands Oh, well, it's all right. Thighs. More darkness. All sphere and love and paint. <laughs> and um, <laughs> oh, doctor. Uh, so, all the girls who, who saw this are kind of getting dressed down by a teacher right after seeing one of their homeroom teachers hanging from the bridge. And he's like, listen. You bitches don't spread any rumors. And I'm not using that language casually. He is calling. He's like, don't. The verbal and physical abuse of the teachers in this film is outrageous. Oh, yeah. And and this is the first inkling you get of it where, where he is uh, also with a great turtleneck telling them to keep their trap shut about what they've seen. And he says, Geo in particular is going to be to blame if he hears that rumors are being spread. <laughs> and hearing this, we also get a shot of Jung Sook, our creepy studious girl, just staring flatly at the news, implying visually, listeners, that perhaps she had something to do with it. It turns out that she did. Spoilers. Whoa. What? They can't <laughs> fool me. I've seen this before. Yeah. It's, uh... They they take you uh, down some, some whispering corridors of their own. In the film <laughs> Whispering Corridors. Um, but, but, so they cut from this of this teacher giving them shit about not saying anything. Inside the teacher's lounge, where all the teachers are gossiping about it. And then we get uh, our introduction to kind of the main character, sort of, uh, which is Eun Young. Uh, she is a former student of this school who has uh, returned as a, a replacement teacher. Um, and, uh, or not a replacement teacher, we'll get to that, but she, she is coming back to this school as, as a teacher with a classroom owe her own and uh you know the principal again shuts down the chatter even between the teachers in the lounge which is kind of funny that like the discipline comes from the top you you see all the as you were saying earlier the militaristic influence and and that was a big apparently a big problem in south korea for realsies was that the schools were run like military academies and teachers kind of had free reign wow yeah you know for fun uh yeah and i mean that's why the the movie was almost banned because it was the teachers uh associations that were like we can't really let this movie get out if they see i mean it would be like if uh a, a, a movie about the catholic like a horror movie about the catholic church that just so happened to feature a lot of molestation. And, you know, 
the Catholic Church would get on that shit too. They might be concerned. Yeah. And, and why they, doesn't that movie exist? Why do they keep buying all the copies? It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the haunting of Jimmy's Bottom is always out of stock. It is indeed. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and and then we see that it's kind of spreading throughout the school, right? Like, the, not just the teachers, but the girls in all the classes are, are chatting up uh, the fact that Miss Park uh, committed suicide, and they're all wondering why. And we follow Un Young outside, the, our new teacher. And she has this vision of the past where we meet the non-ghost Jinju, sort of, who has given her, like, little bells. And, uh... Sorry I laughed at that. No, but that's what it is. Little bells. Little bells. It's a pair of little bells that she keeps on a chain. I don't give these to everybody, okay? Jingle jangle, jingle jangle. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> so... Uh, it, so after this flashback, um, we also see that Jung Suk is starting to take a little bit of heat from the rest of the girls, uh, because they're like, Hey, Jung Suk was the first one to see the body and you know, she's kind of weird. And, and this is also one of the first moments in the film where you see this social hierarchy that's happening in this school uh as well as a lot of just backbiting and infighting and the way that these kids are positioned against each other exactly and it's it one of the great things about this film is that there are are all these narrative layers like there's the overarching mystery of you know is jinju haunting the school and who killed Miss Park and later some other folks. Um, but there's also this very tangible social commentary throughout the film, uh, not just about the awful state of schools or, or the awful abuse at the, uh, at the hands of the teachers, but also that that behavior translated to the students in a really awful way as well. And, and we'll get to a scene later where that's much more direct, but it starts here. It's all uh, these little pockets and clicks and, and that sort of thing. And not just like, well, we don't really talk to them much. Like, there's some vicious shit uh, <laughs> between these girls. Oh, yeah. I wish that um, I had gone to school. As a, a South Korean schoolgirl? No, just school. Oh, Mm. <laughs> no, I, I. It's honestly, I think these movies are good for me because I hated school so much, and I didn't even have it that bad. I just hated the whole thing. So this is like making me realize that uh, I was spoiled and had a great white privilege. Yeah. Um. Just hey, not, speaking uh, just of not Korean privilege. Speaking of terrible things happening to children, hmm. we get another uh, continuous flashback from uh, Un Young here where she goes back to a time when Miss Park 
was inspecting all the girls' uniforms. And, you know, obviously, Eun-young was a student along with Jinju at this school years before, and Miss Park was their homeroom teacher, which in uh, these classes, like your homeroom teacher, I believe, follows you like freshman, you know, sophomore, junior, senior. Like, you, you're, that homeroom teacher is your homeroom teacher for perpetuity. Oh, boy. Right. And so, Mrs. Park, our, our teacher who got, what got hung at the beginning of the movie, is dressing down Jinju for having a stain on her uniform collar, and then makes her hold out her hands and swats it with a ruler. You know, hard enough that we see, you know, blood on her hands. And then Miss Park, like, gets all up on her, I think is the scientific expression. And and says, are you wearing perfume? You are. Just like your shameful mother. And it's pretty awful. Um, like, if you saw this in a school... Like, this is some real uh, flowers in the attic kind of behavior. <laughs> only it's coming from your school teacher. Yes. Flowers in the homeroom. Uh, flowers for Algernon. <laughs> That has nothing to do with this. He got smarter, and then he got dumber again. Just like this show. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, then we, we start to get, uh, get a little bit more on the the big MacGuffin of this film, which is a bunch of yearbooks. Um, which Miss Park uh, had been searching for at the beginning of the film. And... Uh, Un Young is is talking with uh, the PE teacher, and he says, "Yeah, I saw Miss Park's class agenda book." Um, and then we get the flashback of Miss Park telling her, "Like, yes, you you know, Jinju is alive, but dead, but here, and but dead." Did I say she was dead? It's important, the dead yeah. part, and. <laughs> All the stuff about her being dead, that's the focus. But here is the other thing. Like, pair those, and that's what's happening. Uh, so <laughs> I like the idea that she over-explains it for about 12 minutes in a scene. Where you're like, even as an audience member, you're like, okay, we're done. It's a long movie, you know? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Um, so then we, we cut away from that to have a couple of, uh, of the girls... Calling spirits, uh, Gio and Jai, um, using kind of, it's a weird game where they like have a pencil and you ask, you put your hands on it and then you ask a, a, a ghost or a spirit a question and say like, Hey, if like Jai is a virgin, then make a circle. And then it does because apparently Jai has the gift uh, that it, she, it's easy for her to call spirits. And then the teacher comes in and is like, the fuck is going on in here with all this spirit calling? <laughs> it's like the only sensible thing he does. It's like, let's summon the spirits. Let's not. Not in this well, school. Well, all right. So it turns out that the, like, the asshole that was dressing him down uh, earlier in the film um 
is now their their new homeroom teacher, at least temporarily. God. Right. And so he says, oh, you know, you're not even going to greet your new teacher properly. And he makes all the girls sit on their knees on the desks and raise their arms up. And then he announces he's their new homeroom teacher and starts telling them that uh, they've been lazy and they need to look at each other as competitors and they, they need to be focused on what place they are in the class and that they should get used to the idea of not having a life anymore because he is there to make sure that they're going to be decent, respectable, successful young ladies even if he has to kill one of them to do it. And it's horrifying. <laughs> like, as someone who had, in retrospect, pretty great teachers, yeah. if I had been a child and had someone yell at me like this, much less a teacher. And and also, it, there's also a lot of boob poking in this movie. Where a teacher will just have a stick or something, or a ruler in the case of Mrs. Park and like a later flashback, where they're just kind of poking these young girls' boobs. Oh my god. I mean, not in a sexy way at all. It's kind of... <laughs> it ain't right. <laughs> like, it's like humiliating and degrading and sexual all at once in a way that's terrible. I mean... But enough... <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> I didn't do it. No, I'm not accusing you. I'm just saying I feel like I I was a little bit. I'm sorry. I get I get worked up, uh, and I blame the world. Me too. Um. All right. So there. uh, The next day, we got some evaluation exams to do, uh, because the fascist new teacher is like, I got to see what place you're all in. And so tomorrow we're not going to have an official class. We're just going to do exams all day. And the upside of that, it turns out, is that you don't go all day. So a bunch of the girls are hanging out in the bathroom and whatnot. And a couple of kind of bully girls, a couple of tough girls, uh, girls with nose rings, Richard. Whoa. That is you know extreme girls. Mm-hmm. Extreme. X. <laughs> well, it was uh, 1998, so... Right. They went to the sunglasses hut. <laughs> got the punch. Yep. They went right uh, to uh, Spencer's Gifts. Got some very naughty t-shirts. Yeah, so, they're, one of the girls, uh, the nose ring in like is kind of fucked up. And uh, the other girl's trying to help her with it. And it's like, no, 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 you got to punch it through and Quit being, quit being a sissy about this and whatnot. And uh, Jai is walking past and hearing them kind of bitch at each other over this nose ring, she kind of giggles a little bit. And the, here's the problem with bullies is that if they're not fighting each other, they join forces to fight you. Yeah. And that's what happens to uh, poor Jai. They're about to really get into it with her. And then, uh, like a knight in pleated skirt, Gio emerges uh, from the test and is like, what's going on here? You know, like, Jai, you come with me. Let me get you away from these mean old ladies. Uh, we also have some business with Jai and Eun Young, the, uh, the teacher. 
And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, not Jai. It's, uh, geez, what's her name? So Young. Uh, so Young, who ever, we haven't really talked about. So Young is the one who is both pretty and smart. And when she runs into uh, our new teacher, Un Young, in the library, she pretty much says, I'm the smart and pretty one, and I'm going to go to all the best schools. And and do you mind if I call you by your familiar name? Because that's how I roll. Yeah. That's so young. Uh, what the fuck is with this character? Like, she comes out of nowhere, at least in my... And I've seen this film many times. She still surprises me and comes out of nowhere... And she's like, maybe I killed her, bro. You know, like she's such a red herring character. But she's also kind of awesome. Yeah, Rosanya. Uh, she because uh, at first she's just she is not a very nice lady to begin with, <laughs> and and certainly doesn't seem to give much of a shit about. Jai or Chiyo, and we'll get to that in a minute. But um, so uh, we also have a scene between Jai and Gio uh, because uh, Gio is painting and says it's uh, it's not very good, and she kind of hides it at first. Tee you can't see my painting. And Jai uh, asks, uh, insists on seeing it, and then we get the reveal of this painting. And it's this grim portrait of Miss Park being hung. Oh, boy. And Jaye is like, why did you paint that? And Gio says, well, uh, it's because school is kind of a horrific experience. And it's something that I can't forget. And just the two things were associated in my mind. And I painted it. And Jaye gets all grinny about it and it's like oh you're talking like an artist now and yeah you know the light your light's really good like some of your techniques not great and geo asks jayi to teach her to paint and jayi kind of reluctantly kind of reluctantly agrees um so you know what could possibly go wrong uh nothing dude it's all good I don't, <laughs> I don't know much about art, but I love this teacher's potential suicide murder. It's beautiful. I mean, it's like the paper bag or the plastic bag at the end of American Beauty. It's that level of art. Uh, Miss Park being hung. Uh, well, she was flopping around in the breeze, so it's just like the bag. Sure. Yeah. Both driven by wind. Um, so we, <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to think of a joke there, but I'll leave it. All right. Uh, Nothing to so, do with like erections. I don't know. A stiff wind. We, I don't know. Boners. Oh, just boners. <laughs> Let's just keep it. Where's my like slide whistle? Come on. Lowest, lowest common denominator. <laughs> Boners. Uh, all right, so we get uh, a little bit more info about Unyoung and Jinju because Unyoung goes into the classroom where there's the de- you know desk with JJ, which it turns out probably not Juggalo Juggalo as we get deeper into the film. Could in fact be Jinju. Juggalo Juggalo still on the table. Thank you. <laughs> 
Magnus, how well, do they work? Or or the reverse vampires. Um, so, uh, Unyoung, uh, it turns out, was the one who carved the JJ into the desk. It wasn't Jinju. It was Unyoung, who was a very dear, close friend uh, of uh, Jinju's. And Gio shows up and is like, hey, what are you doing at my desk? And uh, Unyoung is like, oh, this is your desk, Gio? Interesting. Interesting. And they kind of chat a little bit about Jinju, actually. And nothing, nothing too significant, but we've kind of established here Jai... Uh, no, I'm sorry, not Jai. Gio has the desk of this Jinju character. Uh, and that Unyoung is a little too interested in the whole situation, quite frankly. So, uh, then, then we get, uh, some, some more bell sounds and Unyoung like hears bells and, and goes out to see, Hey, where are those tinkling bells? Much like the ones that one Jinju gave me oh so many years ago. And when she looks for the source of the bells, she sees that it is, in fact, Jai. Bum, bum, bum! What? So, and uh, so we have another conversation between Unyoung and a uh, teacher pal of hers. Because she's trying to find an address and uh, the address of Jinju's uh, parents. And the teacher asks her... Uh, hey, you trying to look up an old flame? I know you went to high school here. And she says, no, just an old friend. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, you, you know, trying to catch up with him now? And then uh, Un Young shuts that down by saying, like, oh, no, she died here. Um, and as they're having this conversation, by the way, he's also picking his nose. Uh, <laughs> which is a class move. Love this guy. What a great guy. He's su- yeah, oh, he's he's such a horrible, horrible human being in this film. Um, well, he puts two and two together, and he's like, oh, yeah, the girl who committed suicide. So now we finally have the real story of what happened to Jinju, because previously we didn't know. We just knew Miss Park said she was dead, but that she was there. And it turns out she committed suicide at the school. And... Un Young says, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for her family, but this, you know, asshole teacher is like, just go to the school storage room. That's where her ghost is. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> and, and, and we do get a flashback of Jinju, like a very quick one of Jinju pounding on a door. And so, again, we don't have the whole story yet, but some shit went down. And maybe it wasn't suicide. Um, the asshole rolls into his classroom with Geo's painting in tow. Shit. Let's get to this scene. Good lord. So, he asks her what kind of deviant she is for painting this particular painting maybe not an unfair question but the point where he starts 
like literally beating her up and telling her what a piece of shit she is for painting it. That's kind of the point where he crosses a line. I don't know. I think he was within his rights. <laughs> uh, it's a Samaritan law. <laughs> He's just a severe art critic. He has a uh, very discriminating taste. I, I appreciate that. But yeah, he, <laughs> he beats the holy hell out of her. Oh my God. And uh, Jung Suk, our creepy study girl, turns away from the whole scene very meaningfully once again because the camera loves her. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. Like, I thought this movie was about him, like, the teacher. Like, I thought the teacher was the main character. And I'm starting not to, like, sympathize with him, like, right here in this scene. And I'm like, this movie's kind of about these girls. Yeah. It's uncomfortable when the movie takes that turn. And suddenly you're like, but what about the dudes in this movie? I know. Mm. And they just, they fall into the, the, the dudes in this movie are a bunch of Mary Sue's. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> it's so cruel to men. No, you are so right. This is like the, it, it feels like the, the the tipping point for this film. Like, Shit's going to get real from here on out because this situation, this ghostly situation with this murder slash suicide, everything's building. And this is the last straw. This this fucking guy. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of the as you said, the point where things are going to start popping off before that, though, we got to we got to do some painting. So, uh Young uh, runs into So Young again. So Young, are late to the film, but kind of cool character uh, who is smart and is going to all the good schools, tells Young that, oh, uh, this painting that uh, Young found just all wadded up and thrown in the trash it was Geo's painting. And then we have a deal where Jai wants to... Uh, go paint in the old art building, a.k.a. the haunted storage place. And Gio is like, hey, that's a great idea. And Jai is like, no, I was just kidding. And Gio says, look, if you're afraid of ghosts, then fine, but I'm going to go. And there's a really nice scene where we see uh, Gio passing um, Un Young who is fishing uh, the uh, the ruined painting out of the trash. And so when Jai gets to the haunted storage facility, she finds uh, So Hyung there, and who is just being cool and smoking. And Gio and So Young have to negotiate rent for the space, because So Young is like, no, this is my place to hang out, but if you want to do your stupid art thing, you can. And... So they're negotiating the rates of of how uh, Geo can use this space to paint. And then the camera moves over. And we see that the yearbooks that were missing from the shelf at the beginning of the film and the one that uh, the ones that Un Young has kind of been looking for uh, are here in this storage facility. And they, they look like they've been there for years, like like those years 
of the yearbook are all moldy and nasty, and it's like something's happening, like cyclically. Tough word. Cyclically to this to this uh, this school every few years. It's like uh, it's tainted somehow from this bad shit that happened. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of bad shit, we now go to the art teacher who is probably the nicest guy of the film, but also very creepily sketches all the girls. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's as creepy as it gets, but that's kind of enough. (laughs) But but so Un Young is going to, uh, to talk to him, and while they're chatting... Um, Geo comes in to gather all her things because she is now forbidden from painting anymore at the school. And the art teacher actually does stop her and is like, hey, don't give up on painting. And he gives her this uh, fancy brush that looks like a prison shiv. <laughs> and in this case, it's a sort of a Chekhov's shiv. Look, it, it, it's a brush, but it doubles as a shiv. So if that teacher gives you trouble, just stab him. Right, right. And you do it like 14, 15 times in real fast su- succession mm-hmm. right into the spleen. <laughs> uh, or the gallbladder. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, Go for the gallbladder. <laughs> and and then we, we, we have another flashback here. Um. Where or is a flat? Is this the flash? Uh, it doesn't matter. But we have a flashback where Un Young uh, sculpts Jinju. That that's her thing. Like Un Young was kind of the artsy fartsy one of the pair, uh, and sculpted Jinju's head, and like you know did a full cast of her face and everything. And then we have another fun scene of the asshole teacher berating members of his class because now we've had we had our exams now the results have come back and so young is head of the class because she is both smart and pretty as we've established and creepy studious girl jung suk uh who sits by herself all the time and does nothing but study is second and the teacher says What's the point of all that studying if you're coming in second? You need to get with So Young and figure out what it is that you're doing wrong. And <laughs> once again, it's that it's that that sense of competition, you know? Man, they would have loved me coasting on my 1.65 grade point average in high school. I, yeah, it is. I may have ruined the national average for my entire high school, like single-handedly. <laughs> you just decided to burn it all down. So, some people just want to see the world burn, Master Wayne. <laughs> some people can't do their fucking homework, Mister Wayne. <laughs> some people were listening to music, Master Wayne. Uh, <laughs> so, um, all right. So it's nighttime at the school. So young is leaving, and her very young mother is waiting for her in a fancy sports car. And we get a, a shot of Jung Sook 
staring at them as they drive. Like, her whole character in this movie is just creepily staring at things. Or away from things. Man, it's one of the so things. So good. <laughs> She's... She is such the red herring character mm. in this film. Because she sells the creepiness of... Like, oh, is somebody the ghost now? And, and you know, that's kind of what we're leading to, of course. Is this idea that... Oh, Jinju is coming back all Tomie like, and every every few years, like we have to recycle and get a new name and stuff. Um, that is so. Anyway, that is so Jung Suk. That is so. It, it it when you hear that, you think Jung Suk, but uh, perhaps Richard, that is not the case. What? What? <laughs> Uh, so, all right, let's get to the asshole teacher. Let's 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 get this out of the way and yes. savor it for just a moment. Oh, baby! So he's doing the rounds, uh, much like the PE teacher was earlier. He's kind of the guard for the night, apparently, because again, he even he's got two jobs in this film, <laughs> aside from just being an asshole teacher. And he sees an open door, and he's trying to close it, and it won't budge. And so he just kind of says, fuck it, and walks away from it. But then it slams behind him, which startles him, and he goes ass over tea kettle down the stairs. And I thought, uh, the first time I saw this film, well, that's it, he's dead. And that's kind of disappointing, because he deserves so much worse. And then he gets up, and it turns out he just, like, hurt his foot slash ankle, but then, Richard, something comes for him. Because he is stalked by this mysterious schoolgirl who we never see the face of. And, um, like, he's... Like, every time he turns around, like, she's at the other end of the hall. So you know you're not dealing with something that's totally on the up-and-up human plane kind of thing. There is ghostly business afoot. Ghostly tomfoolery. Ghostly rig uh, rigmarole. Ectoplasmic shenanigans. Mm. I mean... Mmm. <laughs> had a discussion today where... Uh, I actually said I thought that uh, ectoplasm was ghost cum. That's absolutely what it is. Uh, I'll provide no other context. Um, so yeah, so he's uh, he's being stalked by our, our Jinju, whoever that may be. And he ducks into a classroom. And then a curtain wraps around his head, tosses him half out the window. And then the cutting begins. And there's this little spade kind of knife. Doctor. That is being employed here. And uh, so Mr. O, uh, which is the, the name of said asshole teacher, uh, is now missing. And not no one's found the body yet. He's just good old-fashioned gone. And uh, Jai sees uh, that there's this red stain over her desk. That, you know, caused the drop of blood that we say, saw at the beginning of the movie on the JJ initials. 
and that stain keeps spreading. And uh, uh, so Jai and Gio start teasing that like Mr. O has been killed by the ghost and are sent into the hallway for being cut ups and <laughs> and class clowns, I guess. Uh, the wild free spirited comedy of Jai and Gio. And <laughs> so, but they're, so they're thrown out into the hallway and they look down the hall and they see Jung Sook walking toward him who hasn't been in class all day. And there's a, uh, no payoff to that other than like Jung Sook is looking crazier than ever until she just walks into the classroom at which point the teacher is like, where have you been? Answer me. And then smacks her. And she just leaves the classroom again. That is the whole arc of Jung Sook in the next three scenes. Uh, what more could you ask for? I mean, just walking around like she is the long haired, creepy ghost girl that doesn't ever say anything really. And, but isn't really the ghost of this movie <laughs> like you this movie is so good it has an extra ghost bonus <laughs> jung soup check it out <laughs> um but uh, well when we get to the end we'll talk about it but kind of anyway so um geo and jayi are uh in the art room and they're in their ghostly art room and geo is saying like i'm kind of worried i might be possessed and Jai says, uh, don't, you're being too serious. Jai, quit, that's stupid. And uh, then we have yet another flashback from Un Young, uh, where it's her talking to Mrs. Park and back in the day when she's in high school, and Mrs. Park is telling her, like, hey, you need to have the right kind of friends. Which now sets up the question of, like, yes, there was a suicide. Yes, uh, that's probably not for real. And did Un Young have something to do with it? Uh, or or Miss Park, even. A lot of mysteries afoot in this film, Richard. I don't like it. I don't like things I don't know the answer to. <laughs> it's, it's a little complicated. It's trying to throw us and then, like, throw us again and again and again yeah i mean up until the last up until the final reveal it, it really is there are three characters this could be kind of and uh anyway so all right un young gets the agenda book finally the pe teacher brings un young the this agenda book and she's flipping through it and she sees notes on geo our our hanging artist uh our hieronymus bosch of teachers <laughs> Um, where she's basically called shiftless in the notes because she wants to go to art school. You know, loser. And, um, but she now knows the significance of these numbers that are circled in Park's journal, which we saw at the beginning of the movie, which are the years of the yearbooks. And so Un Young goes to the library and where she runs into So Young, because apparently this is where So Young hangs out. Like she's Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. 
Like, I'm just here in the library doing my so young thing. And Un Young is is like, hey, the yearbooks are gone. And she says, yeah, the backup ones are too. And which seems suspicious. And so Young uh, says Geo is now in this old haunted art room if you want to go talk to her. And hey, also, did I tell you that Geo can call spirits? And again, pointing at like just moments ago, Geo is saying, Am I possessed? And you're like, you're fucking Jinju. <laughs> you got Jinju all up in you. I'm sorry, Geo. We might have to kill you. Jinju on. Jinju on is right. Oh. Uh, I can't do the sound. Tomies. <laughs> there. There, there are Tomie overtones to a lot of th- this idea of coming back and returning oh, yeah. uh, over and over and whatnot. It doesn't have the body horror of Tomie. No. And uh, Jinju but, never said, buy me some caviar. And not the fake kind. I want the real stuff. On Beluga, dude. Oh, Tomie. <laughs> that is so Tomie. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I got to... I gotta, just stop the sh- grind the show to a halt, ladies and gentlemen. Somebody actually uh, on the Facebook page <laughs> actually said that's so Tommy yes. as a comment, and it, I could not have been happy. <laughs> it was one of the the truly great moments of my life. We changed his life. Yeah, we brought a little a, a little sunshine to the day. I hope and clouds, and and possibly a few trees. So back to So Young. Uh she is in the art room later. Um just kind of looking at uh the uh, smoking is what she's doing which is again cool. Uh because I think So Young needs a leather jacket and the the picture is complete. She is in many ways the Audrey Horn of this uh film. Mm, uh nice. Uh, like that. Liking that. Uh yeah, it's it's what I thought of uh, in my head. So <laughs> while she's in there smoking, she sees our ratty old yearbooks. And then Jung Sook shows up. And these two start to talk some serious smack to each other. There's a real sick burn from Jung Sook about uh, like, hey, I, I saw your sister pick you up. Oh, wait, that's your stepmom. That's right. And then they get into a good old-fashioned smack fight. Oh, man. <laughs> and so Young's calling her a loser, and it's it's pretty fantastic. It's such a good burn, though. <laughs> it's pr- oh, it's sorry, good. that's your stepmom. <laughs> but the, the other thing that the scene kind of does, though, is that it... It shows that they used to be friends because there, there's a little bit of discussion of like, hey, I know we used to be closer, but things are different now. Like, I'm different. You're different. And then it devolves into this argument because, again, they've been pitted against one another for years at this point. And it's just a, one of the more interesting sociopolitical comments of the film i find and i think this is probably the best scene for it 
Because it, you don't get a ton of backstory on these characters, but you get enough to understand that, oh yeah, the, like under different circumstances, they probably really would have been good friends. Um, it's a real shame, Richard. Friendship is important, as these films have taught. Friendship is magic. That is really... It, th- this whole series might as well be called Whispering in Corridors, Friendship is Magic. <laughs> it's, man, you, you've kind of uncovered a, 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 a like a depressing undertone that's should have been more obvious to me I think that it, it's these people are like you said they could be friends but the, the the system is pitted against them from before they were even born <laughs> you know yeah yeah I mean they were being brought into the institution of public education there they're taught that the person in the seat next to you is your competition. And, and that's terrifying. Um, but you know, it makes good movies. When I was in school, the person next to me had the answers to the test. (laughs) I was not intimidated by them. No, I, I, (laughs) sometimes I let them cheat off me. Oh, no, no one could do that. Because they would be looking at a blank test. Are you impugning my test-taking abilities? No, no, I meant of me. Like, my test was blank. I would have been copying (laughs) off you, copying off someone else. I would have let you. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. You fucking Uh, enabler! (laughs) Now I'm just stupid! I'll never learn anything! (laughs) (laughs) I've earned nothing! You made me a moron. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh all right so now we we kind of get some more uh backstory on the the tale of jinju and un young back in the day and that she she talks about being uh afraid to help jinju and that also she didn't think anything bad would happen she just didn't do anything to stop it and it she she has this image of watching uh or, or she un young herself is actually watching geo through the window as she paints and imagines jinju and and unveiling the sculpture that she's made to her friend um and so uh, there are all these parallels between the characters like uh between Jai, I'm not Jai Geo and Un Young. Uh, they're both artistic. Um, you know, they're they're both somewhat tortured by a friendship that they have. Like you know, Jai is kind of picked on and bullied, and and uh, Jai or Geo is the one who sticks her neck out for, her, just like Un Young had done years before. And these parallels may be meaningful, Richard. Mm, yeah. Maybe. Mm, well. Um, hey, Jung Sook may be jumping off a bridge soon. Oh. Uh <laughs> <laughs> we, we see we see her uh climbing up uh the same way that we saw uh Miss Park. And um then we get a, a cutaway scene where Un Young and Gio are in the art room. And Un Young demands to know where Gio 
got the bells. And she's like, look, you Jinju son of a bitch. Where did you get those bells? And she's like, no, I, the, I, Jai gave these to me. And uh, Un Young is like, wait, Jai gave them to you? I gotta go. And then she takes off. And Gio then sees something under the floor of the art room. And begins to pull up the boards and finds herself uh, staring face to face uh, with a sculpture of Jinju. And once we uncover this, we get the final flashback to explain to us what happened to Jinju, what her ultimate fate was. And what it was, it was that they, they locked her, uh, all the other kids uh, locked her in the art room and were shaking it. And there were busts all around the room. And the one of her that Un Young had made for her, uh, starts to fall. And she had promised she would always protect it and so forth. So she dives for it. And ends up protecting it, but also she falls to the ground. And because of the, you know, the house is being shook and shaken, there are some tools on the table above her and they fall, uh, blade down, and she's killed that way. Which is, I mean, truly is just kind of a dumb accident. But also... You know, Un Young stood by and watched as it happened. And even though, as she said, she didn't think anything terrible was going to happen here, but uh, she was you know. wrong. <laughs> she, she did not call that one right. You had your chance, um, and then you blew it. Uh, so, <laughs> all right. Speaking of Jung Soo, she she ends up. Be, being found hung as well. Uh, uh, so young is looking through a yearbook, uh, one of the yearbooks that, that she discovered and Un young is heading back to the main school when this happens, when they, when they find the, the body of Jung Suk. Um, and we see like, so young is there and she's weeping and, and she kind of, fills in some of the details about yes we were close and we drifted apart when teachers began comparing us and reinforcing the idea that this is all about an authoritarian system <laughs> destroying its children um but back in the library un young finds the yearbooks and, and we're rocketing towards the end here like this is all about to wrap up and un young finds the yearbooks that so young discovered and then she starts going through the pictures and looking for Jinju. And holy shit, it's Jai using different names. Or it's Jinju, but also Jai. And she then appears to Un Young. And this is the point where it's like, this is so Tomie. Where she shows up and it's like, all I wanted was a friend. Oh. And then you left and you're a teacher now. I gotta say, you should not have come back, lady. Don't. Just it, don't. <laughs> well, and, and so we have a big scene where it's it's Jai, um, 
saying that she has to kill Eun-young because Eun-young, uh, not only is she avenging her death, but uh, Eun-young has become a teacher. She is now the enemy. She's one of the people that is is responsible for uh, for her death. And it's only when Gio shows up that she's like, you can't kill her. You, you have to stop. Like we're friends. I, you know, I love you, but you can't do this. And it's one of the few times in a haunted house movie where the people who are being haunted are just like, Hey, you're doing terrible things. And the ghost is like, I just wanted a friend. And they're like, yeah, but you can't anymore. Cause you're dead. And then the ghost is like, Wah, wah. You got me. <laughs> I'll stop. Right. No, no talking my way out of that. <laughs> and, and so she says, yeah, you're right. I'm not a human anymore. And then she disappears and we see the, the bust of her shattering and blood rains down the walls of the school. Oh, doctor, it's so good. And it is. Mm, it is a tasty scene. It's, uh, uh it's, this movie, man, it's it's too good for its own good. But we got one more surprise up our sleeve before we wrap up Whispering Quarters numero uno. Yes. Because we now follow... Uh, it's daytime, kids are back in the school, and we, we see a figure uh, walking with, with her back to us. And then she stops down uh, as she's walking down this Whispering Corridor. And turns, and we see Jung Suk. Yes. Oh shit! We got a new Jinju in town, y'all. Holy crapola! So good. And that's that's the initial Whispering Quarters. That's the first film, which, as we mentioned earlier, uh, top one of the top films of the box office the year it was released. It was incredibly well received in its home country of South Korea. Uh, Richard, you have said you have. Uh, watched this movie a number of times and so tell me what did i miss and and also what is it about this movie in particular that you think is so strong oh no you were very thorough i don't believe you missed a damn thing um i think uh, this this has got that hits the ground running kind of supernatural thing uh like it lets you know what you're getting into right away Whereas the film we're about to talk about does not do that at all. It really draws you in and then switches completely to what kind of a film it's going to be. Um, but the tone on this is pitch perfect. Sound design is magical. Uh, music is great. I want to buy this score and listen to it over and over again. Um, there's this level of creepitude where you're like, wow, this school's really creepy. And then you're like, hold up. Have you seen the abandoned part? It's <laughs> fucked right. up. Um, I, I love that art plays a big thing in this. Uh, it's like, uh, it just makes me think of Argento films where art is such a huge part of the story. Um, and this has got all those, I mean, the bleeding walls is just classic. Um, I think bleeding walls should be in every film, regardless of genre. 
children's films, the walls should be bleeding. That's cool. Yep. Second. Yeah, you got a little bit of a, a supernatural slasher co- going on here. It's one of those things I never thought of until this viewing. I was like, shit, look at this body count. This is great. But uh, yeah, this is absolutely must-see for, for, for any Asian horror fan. This is top, top-notch. Yeah, and it, it operates both as a really fine ghost story and the mystery component of it is surprisingly good. Uh, even though we've spoiled it all for you here. But when you're watching the movie, it like the, the uh, red herrings that it presents to you are all viable. None of them don't make yeah. sense. And, and it's, it's very clever. The movie was, I think it was 28 setups to shoot this movie. And was made for, you know, a buck and a half. Wow. It's, I mean, it's crazy how good this movie is considering it was borderline taboo for a number of reasons, not just the, the teacher stuff, although certainly that, but yeah, there is this kind of hint of homosexual relationship between the characters and, and that was enough that everybody was all antsy and the pantsy about it, but it yeah i mean much like the 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 second film we'll talk about uh it 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 doesn't forget the drama and to make the characters and the relationships between them interesting and the biggest complaint i could levy against the film uh and this is more of a conditional thing but it's sort of like yeah it you know it is a more thoughtful film and if you're looking like comparing it to a slasher I, I think is accurate, but also don't expect the pace of a slasher, <laughs> but it's got those beats. Yes. Yeah. It's just a kill every minute. And if the yeah. movie's, you know, three minutes long. Right. But, but also is beautiful and interesting. And the sociopolitical stuff is interesting and it's layered and it's about something and it has something to say. And like you were saying, something I hadn't really thought about a ton but yeah, the fact that art is frowned upon by the administration, but is also a source of liberation for the characters. It's uh it's by God, Whispering Quarters is a good movie. It's a real humdinger. Speaking of dinging some hums. Mo Let us transition uh to Memento Mori Whispering Quarters part two. Uh, the electric mementoing. No? <laughs> the electric mementory, Lou. Uh, so we're going to do a, a quick break right here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, my favorite of these two films, the trippy-ish uh, Memento Mori. So uh, we'll be right back. Black Annis Horror Podcast, the podcast that will change your life forever. Repetition of the repetition. Is that a word? That is now a word. Intense. Zero whatevers. So insightful. 
that you will question your place in the universe. You just said you wanted to see somebody stab a fish. Mind-blowing. That is not what... That's not... No. Inspiring. It's one of two things all the way through. Either predictable or stupid. Life-changing. This is going to be filled with spoilers. Black Anna's Horror Podcast. Exclusively available on the Legion Podcast Network. It's almost like a little advertisement. Yeah, the advert makes it sound so promising. Folks, welcome back. It is time now to turn our attention to Memento Mori, Whispering Quarters, Part Due. Uh, this film was released exactly uh, a year later. It is a spiritual sequel, which is not uncommon uh, in in series out of uh, Asian cinema. Um, does not carry over any of the characters, uh, none of the writers or directors. Writers and directors on this one are Tai Young Kim and Q Dong Min, uh, the important people for you to know. Are uh, Mean Ah, uh, as played by Gyu Ri Kim, um, who was in the Doomsday Book, if you recall that anthology film. Um, we have Hyo Shin, as played by Ye Jin Park, uh, which uh, she is adorable uh, in this film, I, I uh, fully contend. Then we have our other major character, which is Shi Eun, uh, who is played by Yong Jin Lee. And uh, Yong Jin Lee is, uh, does not seem to be working anymore. Uh, has in the past four or five years, which is a shame. She is also quite good in this film. Um, Richard, I struggle with how to approach this film uh, in a descriptive sense because the film does not uh, adhere to a strict chronology. No, sir. It is very much like Juan in that way that the scenes you are seeing are not in order. Um, it is surreal. Mm-hmm. It, I, I could see where it might be off-putting even. But I would argue that the construction of this film does as much for the, for the point of it um, as the script and performances do. Um, it is... Uh, Alright, so here's why it's a Whispering Quarters movie. Maybe, maybe now that we're in the sequel, we can establish that. It is set in an all-girls school, and there's a ghost. <laughs> Is that all we need for a Whispering Quarters movie, do you think? All we need is uh, for Jung Sook to be in every movie. Oh, yeah. If one character <laughs> carried over, that would have been my choice. That's so Jung Sook. Boy, if if we can make that a thing. Um, <laughs> so, I, I think the way to approach this is just to talk through the characters. And, and we'll get to the point of all of it. So the the movie uh, begins with Shiyun, who is a 
uh, lithe young woman who is uh, an athlete. She's a runner. She's a swimmer. Uh, she's a picker. She's a grinner. Uh, and <laughs> and she is in a relationship with uh, Hyo Shin. And it is a relationship that uh, reveals itself throughout the film. And I, I think maybe if we just kind of work our way chronologically as best we can, um, they uh, obviously students at the same school, they don't have the same, uh, same classes. And Hyoshin is the, are a bit more artistic one. Certainly the, the freer spirit of the two. Uh, Shiyun is more reserved, um, very quiet, uh, compared to Hyoshin, but their, their big gig is sneaking up to the roof of the school and just kind of hanging out and chatting and playing around and swinging newspapers at each other, apparently. Um, you know, like you do when you're in love. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, you know, we've all been there on a roof. But uh, so they, they start to create this diary together. It's this uh, a, a, a red diary where they are uh, writing poems and and assembling pictures. And, you know, it's a, kind of a collage art project that they're doing. But it all sort of centers around this... Uh, this discreet hidden relationship they have because obviously they are not flaunting the relationship that they have with one another, at least initially. And it seems to be at this point in their relationship where the relationship has begun. It's very quiet, but they're spending a lot of time together and, and all of that that I think it's at this point chronologically that uh, Mina, which is another student in the, in the same school, um, comes across this diary when Shiyun accidentally leaves it like by a water fountain or by a, uh, some, some faucets uh, near the, the athletic field. And she becomes kind of obsessed with this relationship uh, as told to her through the pages of this diary. And I don't know, like, you tell me if you feel like I've gone astray because I think we can argue interpretation somewhat here as to when a certain thing happens in the chronology of the story. But... When the when I watch it, that's what feels right to yeah. me. <laughs> well, when you have a diary that doubles as a time machine, the shit's going to get complicated. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think it's, I mean, I think the important thing is to, like, establish those relationships and those characters. And, I mean, going uh, scene by scene is going to get wackadoo. Because uh, I think this film, it, I, I don't know... I think it's intentionally mixed up and, and very playful in that kind of way. Uh, it's, it's certainly 
I mean, like it's still a serious film. It's, it's dead serious with uh, very few lighthearted moments. But I think it's a playful uh, spin from the writers and the director and the editor kind of to, to keep you on your toes and make you wonder, is this past or present? And uh, it's it's so rich the way it reveals itself. So, Yes, it unfolds like a flower. <laughs> like a... Uh, like a man's zipper being unzipped. Wait. Can you I was going more Georgia O'Keefe, but I Levi's was, is good too. Yeah. I was thinking uh just Val Kilmer and his his pants off. In a pants off dance off. <laughs> <sighs> my my potential for gibberish is second to some. <laughs> So, all right. So for now, let's follow Shiun and Yoshin, and we'll come back to Mina, who is uh, is in on their relationship. So they um, like Shiun and Yoshin are their relationship is is progressing, um, and now uh, I Shiun is actually the one who proposes like. Let's just be open about this. Kind of who gives a shit. And Hyoshin is initially reluctant, but then goes along with it. And so their big coming out party is that they hold hands and walk into uh, it's uh, Shiyun's classroom. And the teacher there orders uh, Hyoshin away and she won't go and then she is like physically pulled away and like a lot of the girls in the class are starting to get all abuzz with like what the fuck is going on here and then there's uh, the the kiss heard round the school as like Hyoshin and Shiyun uh, kiss in front of the class and Hyoshin seems to do it with more abandon. Uh, Shiyun is the conflicted character. Even though it was kind of her idea to do this, there's always a, a sense of reluctance and, and, and quiet, you know, if not concern, at least a, a sense of, uh, of of personal shame to some extent or, or of, of being a social pariah. And... Then the teacher, uh, you know, ends up smacking the shit out of Shiyun. And there's a lot of, like, people telling Shiyun, like, you can't do this. Like, you're going to, your life will ultimately be ruined in so many words. And so, uh, Shiyun turns her back. On Hyoshin. And there is a period there where they are estranged. Even though everyone knows they were a couple, but like Shiyun is, is trying to salvage something of her social life, I suppose, or a sense of normalcy and not being a total pariah. And we see, again, because this is all fragmented and out of order. But there is a sense that both of the girls are somewhat ostracized after this. 
but Sheehan is is trying to be a little more mainstream, I suppose. <laughs> Fucking jocks. Right, right. I mean, kind of <laughs> though, right? I mean, that's sort of what's happening here is that she at least has her running team and stuff like that. And we see her, you know, giving uh, Hyo Shin the cold shoulder uh, during those those moments, you know, of, of not kind of ignoring the fact that she knows her at all. Um, and Hyo Shin does not take this super well. She ends up in the arms of a teacher named Mr. Go, who is a uh, a literature teacher at the school. And... <laughs> Wait a minute. So the other guy was Mr. O, and this is this Mr. Guy. Go. This guy should be Mr. O. Yes, he should. What a he f- is a fuck. <laughs> he is a dashing young man. Oh, he's uh, beautiful and... Pathetic. Yeah. And we might as well just get into it here because one of the reveals of the story is that while Hyo Shin was not really cheating on uh, Shiyun, her lover, with Mr. Go, it was kind of running into his arms and he was just a predator. And it turns out that after her death, which we are coming to very quickly to get to the crazier parts of this story that uh, Mr. Go was also dating another student at the school and there's a pretty clear implication that at the time of uh, Hyoshin's death which we're getting to uh, she was pregnant with his child so, all right. So, got that, kids? And then, uh, so we have a reconciliation or attempted reconciliation between Hyoshin and Shiyun. And uh, Shiyun says, I'll tell you what, uh, let me just meet you in our usual pa- place up on the roof a little bit later. And. I, I've got something I, I need to talk to you about anyway. And Hyo Shin has bought her shoes <laughs> and uh, says that there's something else that she wants to show her. And that something else turns out to be kind of a shrine to Shiyun and footnote their relationship that Hyo Shin has created inside the school piano i did not see that coming that's it's pretty good yeah although i mean the piano tuner is going to be like what the fuck is this <laughs> people are playing the piano like bling 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 open it up and like oh there's all this shit in here <laughs> mess it up the strings you crazy kids what are all these flowers and knickknacks i get five hundred dollars an hour to tune this godforsaken piano and you got your trinkets inside it <laughs> it's probably worth mentioning here too uh that there's some uh telepathy going on oh, between Shiyun and Hyoshin. yes it's so Be- good oh. that's what we call a metaphor folks 
where these two speak to one another but can't seem to communicate uh, with anyone else. And even uh, Shiyun says, like, hey, I, I thought we weren't going to do this, but they got the psychic link. Damn. And there's this beautiful scene. God, I love this scene. Where Hyoshin is after she reveals this altar to love that she has created inside this piano is saying, um, trying, trying to encourage Shiyun to sing is the point of this. And she's saying everyone has their own, uh, their own music and it could be harmonious or it could be discordant. And as she's doing this, she's clipping, uh, some of the piano strings. So that some of the keys won't play. And, you know, again, she's doing all this telepathically where she's talking about how Shiyun just needs to find her own voice and that she can sing as beautifully as anyone else. And, you know, there's no question that Hyoshin loves Shiyun in this film. Loves her, like that kind of high school obsessive love where... They have conversations about uh, how Hyoshin is nervous when Shiyun isn't around. And and it's that kind of love. Like, I've been in that kind of love where you're just like, where, what you, like, it, she, uh, uh, Hyoshin actually says, like, it, it's like you vanish when you're not with me. And it's, it's intense and it's obsessive and it's a first love kind of thing that never gets quite as crazy again <laughs> unfortunately yeah. when you, when you break up and you look back on those magical two weeks that felt like 5 years you know it's so good <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's so intense and but that's the other thing in this film is that shiun never seems to have that kind of passion until after hyoshin's gone yeah and at any rate, all right, so speaking of her getting gone, let, let's get to that. Uh, so pregnant with one of the teacher's children and just now theoretically reconciled with her lover, Shiyun, because uh, she even says, like, hey, I've got the baby that we always talked about kind of thing. <laughs> Which is not what you want to hear, like, day one of, hey, I'm in high school and we broke up for a while and now we're getting back together. <laughs> is jo- jokes about the affair you had that led to you getting pregnant with a guy and we're both girls and I thought that was cool. They I don't know why she didn't be like is it mine? Right. We kissed, right? That's that's how you get pregnant, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cuz we're children. Um Oh no, wait, the teacher was explaining the sperm in great detail in that one scene. I forgot. Right. Sorry right. guys. Seeing that tail get cut off, <laughs> pretty good. Um, yeah, so the so we get to the fateful meeting on the roof, where uh, Hyoshin and Shiyun are back in in kind of their old haunt, so to speak, and uh, we've had the reveal of this shrine, and then um, Shiyun says I this has to be over. I don't I don't want to do this. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Really doubling down on the hey, 
I'm going to try to lead as normal a life as I possibly can. To the point where she tells her, and it, it's a weird translation in the, in the uh, Tartan Asia Extreme is the edition I have. But uh, Hyoshin says, what do you want me, do you want me to kill myself? Is that what would make you happy? And Shiyun says, I don't give a damn shit if you do. Yeah, that was the same uh, for me. It was a damn shit. And I was like, wow, that's probably not exactly right. I think shit works fine there. I don't give a dang shit. I I don't give a darn shit. Gosh, gosh dang it. <laughs> and, and even telepathically is like, just leave me alone. But as she's doing it, she's weeping. Like you, here's the thing about Shiyun. Shiyun, I think, cares very much for Hyoshin and not in a platonic way or anything like that. I think she loves Hyoshin as well. She is just bowing to the pressure of fitting in. And Hyoshin is more willing to buck that. But when uh, Shiyun gives her the Heisman here, that's where uh, poor Hyoshin, broken-hearted, pregnant Hyoshin, throws herself off of the building. So that is the tragic tale of Shiyun and Hyoshin. That that suicide is brutal. It's yeah. It just wakes you up, like the, the the way the movie is structured. It's this teenage drama. I mean, shit's very serious. But this, it's all very not horror. There's a few moments of uh, possibly uh, supernatural things, possibly just surreal and like things happening inside people's minds, like their their telepathic abilities. And then that body hits the pavement, and it's like, like there's so much blood, and it's so brutal. This you can imagine this moment being seared on everybody's minds. It's so good. The blood is the thing that I, I struck me uh, as much as anything watching this movie is how much it's not crazy. It's not, you know, a Nishimura film, <laughs> but but it's a, a probably appropriate amount of blood. If someone were to strike the the pavement uh, from jumping on and, uh, or jumping off the roof. And yeah, it's it's really striking. More so than the hangings in the first one, I would argue. Like, just this one death is is really disturbing. Um, but listeners may be asking, Hey, uh, that all sounds like a, a high school lesbian drama that ends tragically. I thought this was a horror movie podcast. What? Can't we be both? <laughs> Shall we talk about uh, the story of Mina, uh, the the discoverer of the the Red Diary, uh, the one who has become obsessed with the relationship between Shiyun and Hyoshin? Like, not only did she read this diary, but she is uh, practically a stalker. You know, she yeah. she is fascinated by their relationship as it's going on. Uh, my nickname for her is the other likable character. 
Yeah, like, it's kind of hard to really like Shiyun. I mean, I, you can sympathize with them, with her, especially near the end. It's when everything starts to come together. But this movie, like, it makes, it makes my skin crawl. And I'll get into that when we get to the end, kind of wrapping it up. But it's just like finding someone to kind of latch onto is very difficult when everyone's being a complete asshole to each other. Yeah, it's there, rough. There's a lot of all right, more so than the first yeah. film, uh, where the first film had to do to do much more with the the treatment of the teachers, uh, or, or you know them bullying and berating and abusing their students. There's some of that in this. There's a little bit like there. There's a scene where uh, all the girls are measuring. Uh, it, it's like the physical day. Where all the girls are being measured like height and their bust oh and stuff God. like that. And one of the girls has a, a small chest. Uh, it's actually the girl who uh, Mr. Go is having his second affair on his wife with. Yeah, what the fuck? I mean, just kid in a candy shop. It's <laughs> uh, messed up. I think Mr. Go likes South Korean schoolgirls. Get him out of there. Right. Or, or give like, him a gun. Arm this teacher. He should have a gun, sure. No one's arguing <laughs> that. <laughs> so, hey, congratulations on your state getting sued by the NRA, by the hey, way. Hey, I'm happy to uh, ruin all their sales. <laughs> Fucking idiots. Right. Uh, anyway. Uh, what, Wrong show. I but know, I know. Important. But real quick, people who can't buy guns until they're 21 are more likely to die. That's their, that's part of their argument. How, how so? I don't, they can't defend themselves without their guns. Oh, you're saying if they're under the age of 21, they're more likely to die than over the age of 21. Exactly. I want to see the stats on that. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) The, uh, the stats come from the national research association. Ooh, I hear they're good. (laughs) Yeah. It's the NRA. Oh, sneaky! <laughs> uh, what? All right, where? where, where I digest. Oh, oh, no, no, no! What I was gonna say is, where is that? You know, the first film was much more about you know that kind of brutality, and in this movie, uh, there's the 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 scene with measuring the boobies and whatnot, and a lot of the girls take up this chant of uh, "Flatty," yeah. uh, for this girl, and one of the teachers uses that later. Dude. To, to chastise her, and you're like d- d- way out of line, way out of line, sir. This this movie is like ripe for interpretation, and especially from a feminist perspective. I mean, that you could tear this shit apart and just go off on it. I mean, you have these people competing in the first film, grades and, and everything, and, and you know, staying in line. In this movie, they're even being forced to compete on physical levels and who's more developed, who's tall, who's short, like just preying on their feelings of inadequacy at this age. You know, it's man, it's hard to watch that one, the, the girl who feels she's too short and is just right. crying her eyes out because her measurement is so short. 
it's just uh, and it bleeds back into that uh, the military kind of rule thing again like you can't be a good soldier if you're too short or too heavy it's crazy yeah it oh it and there's also within this too much more pointed social uh, uh, structure and, and yeah. social stigma because it is about a taboo relationship between two girls, mm-hmm. which look, I, I ain't a scientist or nothing, but you put a bunch of teenage girls all together at that age, a couple of them are going to experiment just saying, just like a boy's school. You know, you put a bunch of boys together. A couple of them are going to fuck each other because they can and they want to. And <laughs> anyway, they put the privates in private school. Right. But this is, you know, a, a public I mean, institution uh, where a bunch of horny teenage girls are all put together. And not to mention just the natural uh, like, hey, this girl is just clearly a lesbian versus being heterosexual. But also just the environment itself is conducive to, well, that's what's available, you know, just it's, it's prison love. Like it's having a, pr- uh, instead of a prison wife, you got a, a, a girl school wife. Let me try that one again. They put the privates in private school. <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible joke. It's, uh, it's all right. I don't know that the point I was making was very good. Either. No, I, I uh, liked where you're going with it. I was... I'm just a failure. Just that's the period. One point six five grade point average. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it's just it it the thing I love maybe uh, more about Memento Mori than I do Whispering Corridors is because it is such a, a personal story. Like we haven't gotten to the scary shit yet, yeah. and we're about to. Yeah. But the story of Shiyun and Hyoshin and the school that they're in and the pr- the social pressure like that's kind of enough of a movie for me it's it like you remove every horrific element from this film and it still functions as a really good drama about these two characters and it's never here's the thing that this does right that a lot of japanese films get wrong is that it's always very tasteful it's it, it's not it's never a titillating thing in the film. Yeah. It, or it never seems to be uh, positioned that way. It, it's always about these two people are in love and they can't be in this environment. And uh, it hits me right. I, th- I think the end of this movie is, is ridiculously sad. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the just like two innocence being crushed under this like you know institutionalized homophobia like that kiss because you're into the movie that kiss hits and it's like your head explodes you're like i can't believe it Ah!" and it all goes to shit and you're like man this i can't like it's just emotionally draining like in a good way like it's 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 not gonna leave you uh destroyed but it just it's just playing on that forbidden love thing and it's very, very effectively. Yeah. It, oh, it's so good. Uh, all right. So let's get to the scary shit now. 
so Mina, who we saw originally stealing the uh, the red diary uh, when Hyoshin and Shion um, are are together, and and has been to one degree or another obsessed with their their relationship and them individually. And so much so that her friends are like, what is with you and them? Like, you need to stay away from them. They're kind of weirdos uh, prior to, obviously, her death. And there, as, as she is investigating all this, and, and the crux of the film kind of takes place on the day that uh, Hyoshin kills herself. Because that's obviously the the catalyst that throws all of this in into motion, and you start to hear rumors and whispers. And again, this is all out of order, so I'm telling you this, and it could be wrong. But there are rumors early on in this day, um, after the death of Hyo Shin, that people start to see her around the school. And it's uh, there's already this sense that, like, hey, something's not right here. And then uh, Mina is especially following Shiyun around on this day. I think much of those scenes between the two of them happen on this day. And so she follows... Uh, Shiyun, uh to the doctor's office and that's where no 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 that's way back when she has the diary and she takes the uh, the pill that is just candy but <laughs> on this day she follow, she kind of uh, goes to the, the gym where the piano is and it's here that she discovers this shrine that Hyoshin created for Shiyun and there is another vial uh, with a couple of pills in it that Hyoshin had placed there months before, or at least a, a few months before, and had told Shiyun, like, hey, I'm going to put poison here, all Romeo and Juliet-like, so if one of us ever dies, you can, you know, the other one can follow behind with one of these pills. And... Mina has discovered this self-same uh, bottle of pills, a couple of big horse pills, as we call them here in the <laughs> South. And there's a scroll attached to it that, uh, like, not a giant papyrus scroll, but a little scroll, you know, ribboned to the, the bottle that says, if you trust me, then you'll take this. And at this point, Mina has started to feel somewhat haunted by Hyo Shin immediately following her death. And so she pops the pill and then uh Hyo, uh sorry, Shiun enters and without even having to turn to see who it is, uh Mina is like, "Hey, uh you know, it must have taken her m all the time." between when you guys broke up and when she killed herself to do this. And Shiyun, this is the point, and it's towards the end of the film for both stories as they converge, where Shiyun finally kind of breaks down and weeps. 
And it, it's also when we get the reveal of what really happened on the roof and all of that stuff. But you, for the first time in the film, you see real, like, genuine, heartfelt emotion coming from her. And she's just devastated by what's happened, you know? Um, I, I It's a wonderful scene. Oh, yeah. I love this scene so much. And that's kind of the last time the movie is not <laughs> supernatural. Not cray-cray. But yeah, because then shit just starts popping off. <laughs> and, like, at this point, the school goes fucking bananas. They're, like, girls are getting trapped in uh, the bathroom stall where Hyoshin and Shiyun would hide and got caught on occasion. And then they're seeing Hyoshin around as well. And and very quickly, like, word is beginning to spread. And as people, uh, teachers are like, hey, we got to get these kids out of here. And it turns out, hey, the doors are locked. We can't get nobody out of here and we can't get these doors open and we don't know why. And then we have a scene going on in the gym. Um... Not not the gym, but the uh, uh, music rehearsal room. Rehearsal room? Music room? Something. There you go. And <laughs> where the girls are having this debate about whether they're, or, or not they're going to perform at this show. And that they ought to sing something in the, in the wake of Hyoshin's death. And one of the girls is kind of a mean girl who didn't really like Hyoshin and was always giving her shit. And doesn't feel any remorse that she's gone now. And doesn't particularly feel like singing now that she's dead. But, and this is, as far as the horror element of the film goes, far and away my favorite sequence of the film. Because as they're arguing, uh, the kind of two factions, mostly, you know, kind of the mean girl and the girls who are like, no, 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 we got to do this because it's the right thing to do. They start to hear thunder outside, and then the lights go out, and then the piano starts playing. Yes. But ain't nobody at the piano anymore. And then the lights come up for a second, and you see that it is Hyoshin at the piano, and then the lights go right back out. And when they come back up, she's kind of standing among them, and there's one shot in particular where the girls are running away from her and then they all start to scream and run the other direction and it's then that Hyoshin is revealed. It's, oh, it's so creepy. And then all Hades breaks loose in the school. Yeah, then water is running, everybody's trying to get the fuck out of there, it's chaos, people are getting trampled, and through it all... Uh, you get almost a Haosu style Hyoshin staring down into the school as oh. chaos reigns. Okay, like everyone's looking up at the glass ceiling and screaming. Everyone's looking up at the glass ceiling and screaming. And all of a sudden they show it, and there's this giant face just smiling down at them. This giant ghost girl. It's ah, oh, it's mind blowing. It's so good. And then it's even crazier when she backs away. She's yeah. like, all right, I'm going to peace. And she backs up and you just see 
her stepping away from the school and it's just the clouds. It's like, man, that was badass. Speaking of badass, before we get to the very conclusion of this, let's talk about a scene involving a birthday cake. Because <sighs> in, in the midst of all this chaos, there is suddenly a scene where, apropos of nothing, we see uh, the auditorium filled by uh, the entire school. There's this almost cross-like decoration behind them. And Shiyun and Hyoshin come out on stage to thunderous applause and hold hands. And... There are like there's a choir singing and it's beautiful, and people start crowd surfing a lit cake to the stage. Except when it gets there, it's the kind of the mean girl kind of presiding over the ceremonies, mm-hmm. and so she starts. She holds it in front of Shion and Hyoshin to blow out the candles. And then kind of takes it away before they can do it. And then it's like, no, nah, kidding. Here it is again. Nope. And it's kind of like Lucy Van Pelting them a little bit. <laughs> and then throws the cake up into the air where it tumbles end over lit end in slow motion. And then we cut back to chaos. Won't somebody please think of the turtle? Oh man, yeah. There's a turtle that's roaming around. Uh, I am as... freaking out watching that scene. I know because feet are just stomping all around the turtle, and the turtle's just. Well, I'll get there when I get there. <laughs> as turtles are wont to say. Ooh, I thought we we're gonna have some turtle soup in a second. I was getting scared, man. Um, and so the very end of the movie is kind of where we are now. Which is Hyoshin spirit backs off, but then Mina, who has just kind of collapsed, like she took the pill and had to vomit it up, and then she got caught up in all the chaos of uh, the school going bananas, and ended up just on this bench curled up like puke still on her face looking rough uh passed out for most of this still got the uh uh diary in her in her arms and then we see that pretty much the only people left in the school are Shiyun who is on her feet and Mina and Mina opens her eyes and then there seems to be a telepathic conversation between the two of them where uh, Mina says our diary uh, is is destroyed and Shiyun says that's okay we'll make a new one and Shiyun goes up the, the stairs to the roof with Mina following of a little bit behind her and then she opens the door uh to the roof 
there's a blinding white light and then we cut to uh, a scene of Shion and Hyoshin that we saw earlier in the film uh, playing grab ass on the roof with a newspaper, as we mentioned. Roll credits. Yep. So, a couple of ways to interpret this, I think. The one that I prefer is that... Uh, Mina um, is not possessed by Hyoshin, as as certainly could be suggested. My take is it's her sexual awakening. And now, (laughs) because I'm a romantic, Richard, I like to believe that this has taught Shiyun that, like, who she is and what she wants, and her welcoming Mina onto the roof is metaphorically her saying they can have a real relationship that's not hidden. And that it's something that Mina, the reason she was obsessed with him is because she's having these homosexual feelings as well. Her friends don't understand that either. And this relationship, the the, the one relationship she, she knows of, that's this open lesbian relationship, is what she becomes fixated on because it's what she truly wants. Oh, look at you. You're so sweet. I know, and it's no. probably not accurate. It's probably a little rosier than the, the true end of the film. Well, but I mean, this this film has been playing with our expectations the whole time, so I think they're not going to go the easy route and just say, ooh, spooky, right? She's dead. She went to heaven. And you're like, mm, no, I like, I like Bo's romantic idea. Yeah. And but you could also say she died. You could also say that uh uh Hyoshin possessed her and that's what the telepathy her ability to suddenly communicate with Shiyun tele- uh, telepathically is about. Um yeah, it's interesting because it, it doesn't it doesn't spell it out. And I mean the whole construction of the film is is it, theoretically a jumbled mess. Except that it all works and right. and feels like it's part of the storytelling. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a movie that gives itself up to an easy answer. Like, you know what the movie is about. It, it, it's this, the political statement it's making is very clear. In terms of the narrative, though, it's a little more freewheeling where it it lets you read some stuff into that because of the nature of the construction and also of the nature of the very ending of like, yes, there was all this supernatural stuff happening, but like you said earlier and, 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 you know, flush this out all you like, but there's also a, this could all be in Mina's head too, sort of thing. Yeah. Like that vision of the, the whole cake scene with the big reward, I mean, the, the big uh, celebration for the two girls getting together and the, that cake being brought to them. Like, that could have all been in her head. It was just her vision, you know. I love that scene so much. It's it's pretty spectacular. And, all right, so you hadn't seen this movie before yesterday. Exactly. This is a first-time watch. And I, I love this movie. I, I think it's just gorgeous. But we'll talk more about that. What was your reaction? Like, 
as you were going through the film, do you feel, did you ever feel like you weren't engaged because of the construction? No, not at all. I was, um, I was hanging with it. I was definitely, uh, giving up on trying to take notes on, on the, any plot. I was like, nope, let's do this. The doom show way, which is no plot notes because it was trying to buck me like a, a sweet Korean Bronco. (laughs) Oh wait, is the S it's S dot Korea. Is that S for sweet Korea? That's right. And N is naughty Korea (laughs) or nachos Korea. It's uh, Mm. nihilistic Korea. Oh, I like that. I like nihilistic nachos. Nihilistic nachos are the ones with the extra spicy peppers. (laughs) Ghost peppers! (laughs) Yeah, what was it? Uh, Guatemalan insanity peppers? You mean some GSPs? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, that's GIPs. I can't do acronyms. 1.65. Great point. I I wasn't going to bring it up. (laughs) I felt like I didn't want to socially stigmatize you. Hey, they gave me the tattoo, and it won't fade. (laughs) Damn Palm Beach school system. It's harsh. Damn you, Jupiter High School. (laughs) I actually lived in the town that one of the American Horror Story seasons was set in. (laughs) That's classy. Like, you know you've made it when you're... I really did. Your town was like, you know what's scary? (laughs) Living here. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, one thing about, uh, this movie for me is that that touch of the surreal, like even at the opening scene, uh, which we did, we really didn't talk about, but it, it's, uh, it opens with sort of this dreamlike scene of Shiyun trying to kick to the top of the water while Hyoshin, who is tied with a red ribbon to her ankle, uh, holds on to her, and and Shiyun, uh t- unties herself from Hyoshin and yeah. then kicks away from her. And mm-hmm. it is the story of the film, but it's all in one beautiful little scene. Yeah, we never come back to that pool. I mean, we, we see the pool in one like fun scene where they're they're cleaning the pool but yeah i was really expecting that to kind of be the 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 coda of the movie would be we'd return to that situation whether it was you know a ghostly situation or they actually fell into the pool together like that but it was no it's just a little good symbolism like boom letting you know shit's gonna be strange yeah yeah i mean it kind of gives you a little touch of the surreal and and certainly starts to jump around in time uh, very quickly and yeah it's uh, i think it, it it is thematically a beautiful film i think the relationship between the characters is really satisfying in what well, satisfying in a dramatic way not like it's obviously very sad and tragic but there's nothing better than a tragic romance you know i mean shakespeare knew that early and this movie references it kind of um, that there there is something about doomed love that is compelling, and then when you have like giant ghost girls peering down at you on top, <sighs> it 
It's like tailor-made for Bowie-o-e-o. It, it really is a, one of those movies that... Like, I had the this movie on the list uh, for doing an episode of, of this show about... Oh, nice. Just because. Because it's Memento Mori. And... That made my list before Whispering Corridors. Um, and and I, I will say I saw Memento Mori before I saw Whispering Corridors. Oh, interesting. But I don't know that I would feel any differently in reverse. I just I, I think that Whispering Corridors is a great film, but Memento Mori just is so like emotionally rich. As well as being political and interesting, and it's a little artier, fartier, and I kind of like that. Uh, I I just love everything about it. Like it's a movie I go back to um, a fair amount just to try to puzzle over, and just like okay, maybe this scene is actually later, and but that's a game you can play with it, and it kind of doesn't matter if you ever get it right. It, it's the the impact of the film and the, and the point of the film kind of hits you without ever having to intellectually understand everything, I suppose. I wonder if this was a hit. Like, obviously, the, the Whispering Corridors, like we said, or like you read off the, the trivia there, was it was a huge success for a small amount of money. And because of the timing and because it is such a great movie, it was something that people went and saw and presumably went and saw over and over again. Uh, and then you have this one, which is so unlike the first one, where it has setting, girls, and ghost. And then everything else is so different and so um, not easy to digest, you know? I wonder how successful, I mean, obviously there's three more films after this, but, yeah. uh, was this a release theatrically and did well as well? Or was this straight to video? And then all the others were straight to video. I'm really curious to see how this performed, especially for its, you know, intended audience, which is, um, older white podcasters. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, it's funny because much is made in in the uh, material that I've read about how well Whispering Corridors did. Yeah. And I can't find anything on the Korean box office for uh, 99 um, in relation to that. So it's, it, it's kind of a bummer. I wish I could tell you. But like you said, it had to do well enough. It got three more sequels. Um, and I... I, and I the one, I, I will say that in, I think most most critical uh, analysis uh, analyses of uh, of this series, I it generally seems like Memento Mori is the most highly regarded. Mm. Uh, that it is critically a little bit uh, more well received, and also just sort of the movie that either got you into the series or you didn't even know it was part of a series. You just heard of Memento Mori and yeah, I it's, I think it's wonderful, man. It's one of my favorite Asian horror. It's one of my favorite horror movies. Wow. I mean, just full stop. Uh, I, I think it's gorgeous. Nice. Um, I really, really, I'm so glad that I, you know, 
kind of trip myself up by thinking that I'd seen this film where, um, like I said earlier, I most likely have seen the third film and just had jumped over Memento Mori. Um, weirder, weirder still is I have the Hong Kong DVD, so it's 4.3. It's not freaking uh, anamorphic widescreen. It's literally, it looks like I grabbed it off of a VHS tape, which is not ideal way to watch this film because the, all the screenshots I've seen of how it's properly aspectio ratioed is like way more beautiful. But even with this uh, less than ideal presentation, I still really got into this movie. Um, and it, it kind of rewards you with the horror where it's like, if you're looking strictly for a horror film, you might be a little put off by all the drama, but then like I said, the body hits the floor. They'll let the body hit the floor. <laughs> ooh, ah, 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 ah. I really wish I'd done that on purpose instead of just ooh ah, ah, ing it. <laughs> and uh, there's so much style and, and so much symbolism, just packedness. You have the bird right after uh, the, the suicide. There's this bird trapped in the in the classroom, and everyone's screaming. And then you see that bird later dead in, in the toilet and it's it's just disturbing as all hell and that's why I was so nervous for Mr. Turtle um, not that I don't feel bad about the bird but come on uh, yeah it ain't a turtle <laughs> the <laughs> uh, this is a heart-wrenching film you see the cruelty of others you see that that society just shitting all over uh gay people and you know shitting all over that just innocence of two hearts drawn together um who gives a shit if they're two ladies come on people it is currently 2016 we can do this i don't you know what i'm willing to go back 2016 it is i still think it's the 90s but that's only because of beverly hills 90210 yeah, but th- that's the other crazy thing about this movie to me is that, okay, so Whispering Quarters comes out and it's controversial because the teachers are mean. Yeah. And not to belittle that, but that's what it was. And then this movie comes out and it's like, man, they're fucking girls kissing. Yeah. And and for a movie that came out of, you know, a few years before, you couldn't have ever released a movie like this. And it doesn't sensationalize it. That's the thing that blows my mind. The temptation to do a a titillating version of this story must have been great. And the fact that two, two dudes in South Korea got this very complicated and tender relationship, I think, if not right, at least certainly right-seeming. Yeah. And that, it's astounding to me that, you know, for all intents and purposes, the South Korean movie industry was not 10 years old. And this comes out. And it's like, man, you guys were so much smarter than us. This, This is probably the favorite film of a lot of young people that people that were young, uh, when this came out, this probably spoke to, I mean, obviously I can't speak for, uh, 
anyone who's in LGBTQ community, but I mean, this probably was like mind blowing to like young gay teenagers when this came out of any gender, you know, this was like, what just happened here? And it's not, like you said, it's not trying to be sexy. It's, it's just very matter of factly showing these two people in love. And it's like, when you do it natural like that, I think it's going to be something special and it might really, uh, just, just be somebody's like coming out film, you know, <laughs> to put it, uh, as dumb and as straight as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you know, the, one of the things that's interesting about the homophobia that you see in the film is that it's very casual. Yeah. You know, it's like they're ostracized because they're lesbians. That's it. That's all you need. And, you know, I think they call uh, Yo Shen um, a little nerdy or something, but that ain't the big thing. Mm-mm. And it's, yeah, it's really striking to me. I, I It's, man, if you've never seen uh, Memento Mori, I just can't recommend it enough. Yeah. And, and, and the first film as well. And, you know. Uh, but curious then coming out of, uh, because you've seen whispering quarters a bunch and now that you've seen memento Mori, does that change any ranking for you? Do you, do you feel like whispering quarters is where your heart lies? Hmm. I think so. I think it still is. Um, but that's with many viewings. I could definitely see, uh, scoring that, uh, tartan DVD, and ditch my beautiful uh, Hong Kong copy and, and just taking this in all over again. So um, in terms of which movie I'd reach for next, it would be this one. So could be, could be the, uh, the classical music that they in that they use uh, at the end of the film um, on the tartan disc. That's 5.1. Yeah. And it, it that sequence and the choir and all oh, that stuff. The choir was so good. Yes, yes. Yeah. This, this movie is just filled with little visual moments that are sometimes out, almost out of place, but but are never not interesting. Right. It's uh, I love I love it so much, um, folks. That may draw us. To the conclusion of bonus episode one in what will be a recurring series about uh, the Whispering Quarters series. Um, I Man, I'm so excited to continue this. I, I in, Like I said, Memento Mori is where my heart lies. I don't think it's ever this good again. But I could say that about a lot of <laughs> movie series. <laughs> like, I think Memento Mori is almost better than anything in the Hellraiser franchise. Whoa. Uh, eh, that second one I like a lot. He said it. So, anyway. But, uh, yeah, so we've got three and four coming up, which are Wishing Stairs, uh, which is great. Nice. And um, Voice, which I don't know if I remember. I might not have seen that one. I might not, not have seen Voice <laughs> or Blood Pledge Yeah, I, now that I think about it. I know I've never seen Voice before. I think I've just seen the trailer for it and blood right. pledge. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I'll be rounding out my own knowledge of this series as we, as we go forth. Um, 
and I I can't wait. Like, like I said, Wishing Stairs is is real cool. So uh, it's got a good kind of creepy curse kind of vibe to it that I, I really dig. Um, so we'll be doing that uh, probably next month. We'll figure out the schedule, but soon. And in the meantime, Richard, uh, if I didn't mention at the top of the show, you are the, the host of Hello, This is the Doom Show, which is a personal favorite show of mine. Uh, aside from giving me more of that sweet, sweet doom show. What, what else, what else should people be on the lookout for? Oh man, I am, uh, toiling away at typing up my handwritten notes and editing the overly long doomed movie thon book, which is all of my, uh, non giallo movie thons that I've done where I'm just, punishing myself with movie after movie after movie on weekend long movie thons and dude i am like i'm in it to win it i'm typing up my entire elvis movie thon nice which will be in the book between like a slasher movie thon and then a jess franco movie thon so it'll be like the meat in a very strange breaded sandwich and yeah, I, I would say El- the Elvis canon is more Jess Franco than Slash. <laughs> yes, we. I picked I think twenty two or twenty three uh, Elvis movies to watch in three days, and then I had a horrible migraine, so we only watched like seventeen. So it felt like a huge failure. And then I realized that we watched seventeen fucking Elvis movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> And like we got all our favorites in, so it was it was great. Like I know more about Elvis the the actor than Elvis the musician. So I'm like, hey, this guy did some good songs. But his yeah. his movies are magical. Are they? Dude, like when you're watching them back to back, you start to just lose your shit. <laughs> With just so it's more of a Stendhal syndrome. Yes, it, or uh, uh, what do you call it? The what's the Swedish fish syndrome? What is it? Gewilte fish. What is it when you you love your captor? Swedish Stockholm. Stockholm. Swedish fish. I just like to say Stendhal. <laughs> Stendhal. I definitely had the Stendhal syndrome. I kissed a fish. <laughs> Did you like it? The fish liked it. Mm. But Good yeah, so I'm working on that book. And uh, working on another issue of Fang of Joy, the Euro horror and Giallo zine. Uh, the the deadlines have been shot, stabbed, garroted, and drowned because fuck deadlines. We're late with issue five, but it's going to be an all Giallo issue. It should be a lot of fun. Nice. And uh, uh, is that just on Doom Moviethon? Yeah, doommoviethon.com is, is the site. Um, I will definitely have links to the book when it's done. And uh, there is a link to the current issue of Fang of Joy also on the site. Um, I do those on eBay because I'm a thousand years old and I don't understand, like, stores. Yeah, like, capitalism? <laughs> are, are we at that level where it's just the exchange of money for goods and services? Um, I just leave issues... 
I mean, I have issues, but I leave copies of those issues at the limited. 1.65, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's the, the kind of marketing that number will get you. <laughs> I was trying for the middle, and then I missed it. <laughs> I was aiming for mediocrity and fell short. <laughs> miles, miles away from mediocrity. <laughs> Uh man, thank you so much for uh for being on and doing this oh, series. Yeah. I've I'm always uh immensely entertained and, and enlightened. Thanks for having um, me. Yeah, it'll be fun. We'll do we'll do two more pretty soon. Uh and folks, in the meantime, if you would uh hop over to the podcast vendor uh whereupon you download this podcast, leave us a rating and review if you would. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. And as always, check out legionpodcasts.com where you can find this show and many other uh, fun programs, including Hello, This is the Doom Show. Um, also, if you go over to the website now, there's a handy-dandy search uh, button or search bar on the front page of the site, which we never had, which we should have. and <laughs> So you can actually find the shows you're looking for now. And also a uh, a store page. Speaking of, um, where you can get uh, Legion Podcast, uh, there's hoodies, t-shirts, and coffee mugs currently. And I have got one of them coffee mugs on the way to myself. So, you know, reinvesting is what they call that. <laughs> it's, like a <laughs> That's all re- it's like a snake eating its own tail. I love it. Yeah, well, it's the whole reason I, I set up. Uh, the coffee mugs in the first place was because I wanted one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, come along listeners. I got to buy another shirt. I bought an XL and then I lost weight, which is like the last time I'll ever do that. But now it doesn't fit me anymore. It's like a tent. So I got to buy a, a small, sexy size, like large. Well, and, and now you can grow into the old one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is true. I will work on that. So, uh, oh, and speaking of the store page, folks, uh, just I want to make it clear, like that ain't just for personal profit. It's uh, we want to start doing more fun stuff around uh, the Legion podcast network. And uh, it turns out stuff costs money. Um, And every every T-shirt and coffee mug you buy uh, helps us make new cool shit. So there. Um, all right, folks, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As always so much for listening. We will have another show this month. Uh, that one is going to be a regular, uh, non bonus, uh, non pair of movies episode involving King Kong versus Godzilla, uh, with one court Psyops. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, in the meantime, ladies and gentlemen, Tears of Tragedy. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>